0: We can turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. It starts out there by saying, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, he sent forth his Son... Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now as he starts this, you're thinking, wow, didn't he just dive into it? And he he, he kind of did. Don't get lost in the weeds. Um, this entire chapter this morning is going to read kind of like this. Uh, Paul is sort of in the middle of the letter. Remember back in the old days when they read Galatians in the church, Thankfully, we don't do that now, but they would start in Galatians chapter 1. And without explanation, they just figured you knew this stuff. So they would just read it all the way through the end and say, wasn't that good? You know, that when they got a letter, that's how they would do it in the church. So, And, and what's really cool in the church is that they didn't have multiple scrolls. So in the old church, the way that it worked is, is you'd have a... In other words, like we have a Bible in one book, they had every book of the Bible on its own scroll. So say if our church had, you know, the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah, uh, you wouldn't have Isaiah and Jeremiah, but say you had Isaiah and then you had a copy of the Torah, the first five books, we would be pretty fortunate. And then we would barter with First Baptist and say, hey, you've got Jeremiah. Next month, why don't we trade our Isaiah scroll for your Jeremiah scroll? And that's how the churches did business back in those days. Because remember, there was no printing presses. Handwritten. Everything was handwritten. And that's why we have the different fragments of the Bible in various churches that were found in the walls, different wars that would come through. If you had a copy of the Bible, a different book, you would hide it in the wall of the church. That's why uh, they're in Turkey at the foot of uh, uh, oh, that big tall mountain, Arap. There it is. Uh, there's a there's a monastery at the bottom of that mountain, and they got into the walls of that thing, and they found uh, several hundred scrolls where they had, had uh, done a bunch of Bible commentary. They found the scroll of Isaiah and all that stuff to predate Christ. And uh, that uh, Josh uh, McDowell found that here not too long ago, and so pretty cool find. Anyway... Uh, That's how the Bible was. So this morning, as we get into this, it's real important in the modern church to not overemphasize or overlook at one particular point of Scripture, because what I have found in listening to people that really start sermonizing this stuff is that we get way off in the weeds real fast. It's best to take that approach of, wait a minute, let's back up. Sometimes you'll read 10 verses and there's one major point that we need to see and pull out for a church, uh, you know, such as we are this morning. So, where are we? Well, He says in verse 1, now, I say, so that's, context would be chapter 3. Now I'm saying this, that the heir. And so what he's giving you is an illustration of what he's talking about. He says, you know, and we, we understand what a heir is. If uh, mom and dad die, the kids left behind would be the heirs to the inheritance. And we understand that. Um, now he says, as long uh, he says that the heir, as long as he's a child. So in other words, if he's a minor, we understand this real well. Uh, parents die, and the kid is 16. And you're like, well, sorry, you don't get anything yet. It's held until you're of age at 18. We 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 understand that concept. He says he doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So though he will inherit it all. He's no different than the chief guy that works for him. In other words, in our day, the lawyer. The lawyer would be going, (laughs) it's mine for now. And uh, so that's that's what he's saying. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So until he's of age, he's under those guardians. He says, we understand that, even so we, verse 3, when we were children. So what is he talking about? He's not saying us, you and me, when we were kids. He's saying when we, the church, when we, the people of God, were young. In other words, go back a few thousand years when we were young on planet Earth. We were held by the law. The law, it says, uh, so we were children under bondage element of the world, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent His Son. So, verse 2, we were, under, we're under the guardian. What's the guardian? He's going to tell us that... Uh, in a few verses, that the guardian is the law. So thousands of years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, everybody was under the law. Why? It was to keep them when we when we were kids. We didn't know about Jesus. We In the Old Testament, we had an idea about Jesus from Isaiah in different places. Before Isaiah was written, it was really foggy. Um, Isaiah was one of the most studied and read texts uh, before the New Testament uh some of the chapters interesting enough were so pointed for christ that in synagogues they wouldn't study them they would skip those chapters in isaiah because they were so pointed towards the messiah towards jesus after jesus came almost all synagogues quit studying certain chapters because they realized uh oh you know this is challenging our judaism because jesus so mirrors these chapters so uh interesting we were kept under those things. Now, uh, the law, the laws comes. It's it goes. Verse four. God sent forth His Son. He sent forth His Son, the Messiah. He was born of a woman. That's interesting in the Greek because it means born of a single woman. In other words, we all know biology. It takes two. Um, this is single. So in that verse, He's saying he was born of a virgin and you know mary but he was also born under the law that's interesting i thought he got rid of the law jesus himself said in the gospels i didn't come to get rid of it i came to fulfill it so it, that's important because for the christian that would come and say the law's dead anything written in the old testament's not for us today jesus would argue with you and say Actually, it's worth studying. Uh, And it is. If you've never done it, commit this year. And we're at that New Year's resolution thing. I'll challenge you with this. Try to sit down this year and read through the Old Testament. You don't have to understand all of it. Just read through it and take the bird's eye view, okay? Don't get lost in the weeds. Well, I don't understand Genesis 1 through 8. That's okay. Just read it. You understand God created the earth, right? Uh, Read on through the history. Read Abraham. you know, get, get, Just get through those things. You get into Chronicles, and you're going to come at me and say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Read it. One king after another after another. And you know, you start to kind of get sick of humankind because you realize that after you go on generation after generation after this history, that some followed, some didn't follow. They all died. But only some, when you get into the New Testament, only some died with a faith looking at what would come. And that is what matters. And I'm telling you, from my perspective, you know, 40 years old now, um, I've lived a lot. I've had some exciting years, some too exciting, I think. Um, I'm I'm at a place now, you know, obviously dealing with some health issues and things like this. And the the, the life span starts coming into focus. God starts coming into focus. And I'm telling you the truth. There is a lot of what's taught in churches that is what we would say, quote unquote, Christianity. That's all a farce. It truly is. Christianity, churchy stuff. It doesn't hold water when the the going gets tough. And you all know that. You all know when you go through trials, the churchy stuff, churchy programs, they all fail you too. But we come back because we don't know what else to do. Well, part of that is because even in our minds, we put ourselves under the law. And we say, in order to be good enough for heaven, because think about it, Christmas time. What makes you feel worse than anything? It's if somebody gives you a gift and you don't have one for them, right? We hate that feeling. We're, we're, we're human. In, in, in the Western culture, in Texas, we're terrible at this. We just don't like to take free gifts. We we like, if you give me something, I like to be able to give you something back. And when we come to God, we say, okay, God, well, you saved me. I'm going to give you something back. And legalism comes into our lives. And we say, okay, well, I'm going to serve God. That'll make me worthy of what He does for me. That'll make me worthy of heaven. No. And eventually, you see through it. You see, man, everything that I can give God is worthless. It's all worthless. If I give Him my the best part of me, or or I think, well, I'll swear. That's what I'll do. I'll make oaths to God. God, if you saved me, I promise I'll do such and such. And then you fail at it, and you go, well, God, I failed at my oath. I'm worthless. I can't even keep my oaths to you. And so we end up crawling away in our legalism and in our churches. We all feel like failures. And Paul wrote Galatians to address for 2,000 years that problem, to say, look, you are failures. You need to rest in your failure and you need to start resting on the Lord. Be at peace that you're a failure. God already knows it. it. says in Jeremiah, He knows from where we come from and that we come from the dust. He knows your dirt bags. You know He knows I'm a dirt bag. And He saved us and if that's what grace is. Grace, it's something that we don't deserve and we get it anyway. So that's what He's talking about here. He born under the law to redeem those, verse 5, who were under the law because they needed saving. I said this last time, the law was never intended to save you. It's kind of like when you get up and you look in the mirror, you know, a mirror doesn't make you pretty. A mirror just shows you how ugly you really are in the morning, right? So you look in it and go, oh, I need to fix my hair. Oh, I need to, some of y'all have that problem. I don't, you know, I've got perfect hair days every day. But uh, you look in the mirror, and the mirror shows you your faults so that you can then fix it. But it absolutely does not make you beautiful. When you read the Old Testament, all you see is the faults. All you'll see is the failure of people in the stories and your own failure. You'll see Abraham and go, Yeah, I look a lot like Abraham, don't I? Failing. All the time. Interesting, we get to Hebrews, all the people you read about failing, Hebrews 11, he just leaves that out. Uh, Abraham, you know, it, it was by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah. And I'm like, wait a minute, did you not read the book, Paul? You go back and you read the story in Genesis, and Abraham was not by faith, he was failing all over the place. Sarah, she's told about the promises of God, and she laughs. The Lord's sitting there, hears her laughing. Was, she's laughing. No, she's not. You know, it, it, it's an interesting story. Sarah was failing in her faith. But at the end of the day, her faith was in Christ. Do you feel like you're failing in your faith? We all do. That's why you're here this morning. If you were perfect, you wouldn't be here. You'd be out there being perfect. So we're all here because we feel like we're not. We're still. We're still trying to get there. We're trying. And so it's still a by faith. And all your failures, God's going to erase. He already has. He forgave you of your sin. He only remembers that you decided to believe in Jesus. And you can't even do that on your own. You have to have Jesus help you to cement the belief. Because we can tell ourselves, that's what I do constantly, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And the next day I'm like, do I believe? I believe in Jesus. You know, It's like you're convincing yourself, I believe in the Lord. And at the end of your life, you're accounted one thing for me being righteous is that I believe he does all the work. That's what the Bible tells us. So this is where it gets really cool. Jesus came to redeem us because we were under the law. Verse five at the end says that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is really cool. And, you know, and I don't get real heartfelt very often up here, you know, but this is really pretty cool. You know, if I was, we were driving to church this morning, if we had stopped somewhere and somebody just opened the door and got in and said, hello, I'm now part of your family, he would have probably got shot. Um, But here, we're not just joining a crowd, we're not just joining a church, we're joining a family. Essentially, that's what we're able to do. We're just able to get in the vehicle and say, I'm, I'm part of the family now. It, we're adopted sons. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? What does that mean? It means that when you don't have the ability to believe, the spirit within you, Romans chapter 8 talks about this. You know, everybody in, in some churches they go too charismatic and they go, you know, praying in tongues or whatever. Well that's fine. But what is Roman eight really talking about when you don't know what to pray about? The spirit within you prays on your behalf? That's pretty cool. That means that you go to the Lord and when your when your heart is at a very low place, you don't know what else to say. And, and I've been there many times where you don't really know what to pray, right? Because I'm telling you all your failures today. It's a great New Year's like, you know, set you for the year. But we're all failures to the extent that we don't even know what to pray for anymore. And the Lord will put the prayer in your heart. The Lord will pray on your behalf. It's really very, very cool. The Spirit of His Son is in your heart crying out, Not, you know, all this stuff to be done. It's Abba, Father. So there's a communion that begins to occur from you with the Lord. It's very cool. Therefore, Paul says, you're no longer a slave. In other words, you're not a slave to the law. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. You're part of the family. Now think about that. If you're part of the family, you're treated different. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not, right? If you're part of the family, that means that a loving dad will discipline. I don't discipline other people's kids. Frankly, I'll be honest, I don't really like other people's kids. You know? Um I I I just don't. That's just been me. Sorry. Um, And if you're a kid here today, it doesn't mean I don't like you. I just don't, I don't, as a father, really care, okay? Anyway, moving on. Um, Digging holes, you know. Anyway, (laughs) hey, I've always been blunt, and this is just the truth. In the world, you know, you think I'm blunt, the world will beat you up. Because you go and you say, I'm part of this crowd. You love me, right? No, they don't. They want your money, they want to use you, and they kick you out, right? That's the world. You come to Jesus, and you see if you go to a churchy church, you go to a religious group, and they do the same thing the world does to you. They say, well, if you will dress this way, we'll accept you. If you do this, talk this way, act this way. If you don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, then we'll kind of maybe accept you. But even then, I don't think you'll be as good as we are. You're like, okay, well, I'll try. Good luck. But if you come to Jesus, he's saying it's different. Jesus says you're part of the family. That means there may be some struggles. That means God may come into your life and he may turn you on your head. He may discipline you in order to, because he loves you, to bring you back. But it's going to be about a relationship with God through the years. If you've just come to the Lord, you don't know this yet, but you're in for a large rude awakening because all the rest of the people that you know will go through life just be bopping along and nothing's going to ever happen because they're not part of the family. Now that you're part of the family, God's going to start acting in your life. And if you've walked with the Lord for a while, you already know this to be true. He uses circumstance. The Bible says the Spirit doesn't speak loudly in our life says that his voice is a still small voice, and John is talking about sensing the Lord. And if you're a a old mature Christian, it will still be this way. Love the verse in John where it says that the Spirit, he comes where he comes from and where he goes to, no one knows. It's like the it's like the wind. In the Greek, the word is pneuma. And that word in the Greek can mean two things. It can mean spirit, and it can mean wind. So when you step outside and you sense the breeze blowing, all you sense is the pressure, the air change on your face, right? You can sense it more, you know, if you lick your finger. You know, there's things that can enhance it, but you never can see the breeze. You can see the effects that it has on the leaves, you know. You can see the effects if it gets to blowing too much on even more things. But you never know where it comes from or where it goes, right? It's it's just a shifting of high pressure to low pressure. And then you, you wouldn't you think after all of the eons of times that it would have finally equalized? But around the world, it's still blowing. How does that work? I just really don't know. And that is the idea of the Spirit of God. You'll sense Him in your life blowing. Like, I think He just passed. Huh. I think he's coming back again. I see him stirring leaves up. I see him blowing stuff around. I see him changing things, and yet I don't know what he's doing. And if you're 90 years old, you'll describe the Lord in your life exactly the same way. He's still blowing. Sometimes I think the older we get, the more we have the the licked finger approach where we're like, I think I can sense him a little better now than I used to. Um, And I'm getting better at that. I'll say that even now what happens is there's God's will and my will. And too often, if my, I'm a very strong-willed person. When my will is really, really strong, it sort of supersedes the still small voice for God's saying, Justin, I'm blowing and I'm going from here to there. That is walking with God versus rules and regulations that people or churches unfortunately can put on us. I love verse 6. The Spirit of His Son is in our hearts and it's crying out, Abba, Father. It's something in you if you're a Christian, no matter how low you get, that wants to cry out to the Lord. And I would say that little part of you is probably the Lord down in there, connected to your spirit, saying, reach back for the Lord. It's always going to be there. Therefore, you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son then you're an heir of God through Christ. So he ends that section. Now, he says in verse 8, But then indeed, (laughs) when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So he says, if everything we just talked about is true, you know God now. It's alive. It's in your heart, then, what is wrong with you that you would turn back to rules and regulations? Why would you want that again? I don't do you? I want to just know know the Lord to uh, verse ten. You observe days and months, seasons, and years. That's simply a reference to the to Judaism. They're huge into the feast, keeping of the days, the weeks, the months, the years the you know jubilees uh, all their feasts were on particular days. study through all that it all has. Uh, significance, and semblance to Christ, but it is not Jesus. It's just semblance. I'd rather have a relationship. Verse 11, he says, I'm afraid for you. If Paul says he's afraid of these people back then turning to those things, I would mirror that today. I am afraid for any of you who are tying yourselves to rules and regulations over knowing Jesus. I would be afraid for you lest I've labored for you in vain. I'm talking particularly to these churches in Galatia. Brethren, I urge you. And that urging, that is uh, in the Greek of utmost importance. I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you is the idea to become like me. That's pretty cool. I actually beg people to not be like me. But anyway, uh, he says, for I became like you. Now, what's he saying? past tense i became like you he says be like me now present tense in the greek because i past tense became like you i'm begging you what what is he saying remember he was a pharisee mr religious all the way that was paul um and he realized something that wasn't getting him to heaven he met jesus on the road to damascus changed him so he says i used to be like you guys rules and regulations, but now I'm begging you to be like me. I figured out the truth, and the truth is, it's all about Jesus. So now I'm saying, this is the way. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in the flesh, you didn't despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So those verses he's simply talking about back in history. He says, remember when I came to you. In Acts, the story is there. He's traveling on his missionary trip. He gets into the middle of Turkey today. He's traveling across the country. And it says there that the Spirit hindered him from going to the south which is where the church of Ephesus was located. And instead, he ended up going uh, sideways across there into the middle, the churches of Galatia. So, and I find that very interesting. Physical infirmity. We think that he had a malaria that settled into his eyes and caused his eyes to be running matty. Be a weird guy to listen to, you know. Uh, his eyes are matting and running. And he says here, you know, he figures in verse 15, they were so happy to get to hear him, that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him if that would have healed him and made him to be able to do that job even better. I imagine that's what they're referencing there, or he's referencing. The thing that I get here in verses 13 and 14 is how God uses the physical infirmity of Paul to do two things. One is to push him towards something, towards an open door. Go to the churches of Galatia, preach there, but there was a great church there in Ephesus, and they wanted Paul to come later. He makes it there years later, but he the spirit hindered him, it says in acts from going there, so God always works that way by the way, He calls you to go to something a lot of times after he's called you away from something, and you have, think about Abraham, get thee out. <laughs> of this country. So he said, leave all that I know and just go to a place I'm going to show you. I would have said, hold up, Lord, I need to know. You know, it's kind of like a frog jumping. I've always said that. If you're jumping off of one leap pad, you kind of need to know where the next one is. Don't just jump, right? That's human wisdom, but it's not godly wisdom. Faith is not that. Faith is jumping into the unknown. And God always says, jump. I'll show you where you're going to land. That's faith. And uh, so here I see that, and, and Paul could see that in his own life. Again, not something he got upset about. He understands it's God working. Again, that quiet, small voice of God in your life, guiding and directing and moving. Uh, interesting. So he says, look, that's how I came to you. Um, have I become your enemy, verse 16, because I tell you the truth that you don't need these rules and regulations. You see people get mad when you tell them, you don't need all that. All you need is Jesus. People get mad. They get really frustrated. I've lost good friends over it because there's rules and regulations all the way. And I say, no, it can't be about that. I'm not saying they are bad rules or regulations. See, they get hung up on it. It's it's sort of like, and I've said this before, it's like, uh, you know, women are beautiful, right? We hope so. Okay, maybe they're ugly. Uh, women are are beautiful, and so... You know, you have your wife. It's not about the other woman that's beautiful. It's never going to be about that. It's about your love for your spouse, right? It's got to be. So if you make the argument about, oh, but she's not that pretty compared to my wife, that is a stupid argument. And you'll lose with your own mind at some point if that's the argument. The argument has to be, no, it's all about my spouse. You see, it's it's a decision you make. With God, it's the same way. It's all going to be about God. I love the Lord. It doesn't matter how good the world puts stuff in front of me. That's always the argument with young people. Well, is that wrong? Is that so bad to do? Never said it was. But God said, if you love me, you'll do these things. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about your heart. And I always can tell somebody's heart by what they talk about. You just can. You know, if you're into NASCAR, I can tell, you know. You know, you can just tell. And it's not a bad thing, it's just a thing. But I'll tell you this, if you're really into one thing, you can't really be into four or five other things. You're going to pick in life the thing that you're really into. You can't be super, you know, into dressing like a cowboy and super beach bum. Not on the same day. I'm just saying. (laughs) If you try to put those two things together, you're going to look real funky, okay? And we're all going to be able to tell, This dude doesn't belong in in any world because he's trying to please everything, right? Same thing with serving the Lord. If you say, oh Lord, I love you and I'm all about you, but I'm also into this and this and this and this and this. That's okay, right? Well, it's okay, but it means you're not super into the Lord because you can't do it all. You got to pick in life. We all have a master. We pick one and you serve that master. It's real simple. But there's no rules, you see. It's just a rule of the heart. It's easy. Now, uh, back to the text here. Verse 17. He says, they, talking about the religious ones, they zealously court you, and they do, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous. Interesting, not for Jesus for them so when a religious person or a church or anything says do these rules so you can be part of us so you can be like us so you can be like me and part of my group you know mm, no i want to be with the lord there should be no groupies okay no groupies in the church it should just be jesus and the thing is is you should always be pointing somebody not to be really close buds with you but close with the Lord. That's a true friend. It's a Christian friend in the in the realm of the church, a brother or sister in Christ. You know, they don't point people that way. That's what I always look out for with you know, we call it missionary dating, you know, in the church. You look, uh, you'll see that happen. Where there, you know, a guy comes along and is like, Oh yeah, it's you and me, babe. I like, no, no, no. It it should be it should be about the Lord. In the church, we, we point people towards the Lord. So uh, good things to think through. They zealously court you. Verse 18, it's good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I labor in birth again till Christ is formed in you. So he says, I'm writing all this because I'm laboring again for you because I want Jesus to be real in your heart. That's what this is about. I'd like to be present with you now and to change my tone. <laughs> he realizes what he's writing is, is confrontational to them. And it is to religious people. To say, throw out all your rules and your laws, very confrontational. And I'm telling you, people, when you barely confront them on these things, they blow up. They just they lose it. It's just how it is. He says it here. I'd like to be present with you and change my tone for I have doubts about you. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He just puts it down. So you think I'm blunt. I think Paul is more blunt. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Most people that want to be under a bunch of rules and regulations barely know their Bible. It's so interesting. Most of the church leadership I know that has all these rules and regulations, they they have every little... Crito, that that they've written, man's written, memorized. But you say, where is that in the Bible? And they, uh, 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 and they're stammering, and they're stuttering, and they don't know where it is. They'll point you to some good books, but not the Bible, you see. It's, it's something to think through. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear? In other words, do you not understand the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons. So he says, you want to talk about it? Let's go back. An example he's going to give us one of these sons by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. You all know the story of Sarah and uh Abraham and Sarah were given the promise and the promise lagged and went years and years and years. No son, no son. So Sarah finally goes, That's it. This faith thing's not working, taking matters in my own hand. She took her handmaiden, uh Hagar, and takes Hagar and says, Abraham, this is your new wife. Abraham says, okay. So he takes Hagar, and uh, and again, dumb move, but they have a son, Ishmael. And uh, well, like, and I'm looking at the whole story. You know, you read through it and you just go, well, duh. They should have seen this coming. As soon as she has the son, Sarah gets upset. Sarah's she's jealous. And that Hagar, you know, could have a son, she couldn't. So, and that's what he's talking about here. One uh, verse 23, but he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh. So Ishmael, product of the flesh, is a product of Sarah saying, let me help God out a little bit. And he of the free woman, that's Sarah, because then after this, I think it was 13, 14 years later, Sarah gets pregnant and has uh, Isaac. So, uh-oh, now we've got a problem. He had a free woman, was through the promise. These things are symbolic. The entire Old Testament, guys, is symbolic. When you read it, realize that the Spirit of God allows everything to happen, and there's symbolism all over it. I love studying through the Old Testament because I, I love to bring all that stuff out. The symbolism, there's numerical studies, all the stuff where God has just branded it with uh, with Himself. And there's a there's a perfection in the Old Testament. Uh, it's beautiful. So he's saying th- these these things are symbolic. These things represent two covenants. Ah, I know we're getting somewhere. One from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given to Moses. So he's just saying the the one is representing the law, which gives birth to bondage. Which laws do? Do you know somebody that's really big into laws, rules? Don't you feel in bondage around them like you're stifled and you just want to get away? That's what he's saying here. Which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. This Hagar uh, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many children uh, has many more children than she who has a husband. now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise, so in the same way that Isaac was given as a promise back then, we today are children of a promise, a promise that Christ would come, he would die for us, and if we accept him, we get to go to heaven. We're not looking forward to what God does; we're looking back at what God's already done and saying that's what's saving us. We're looking forward to his second coming now, so interesting um now verse twenty nine as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now, so it says the same again that story after all the kids were on the ground, uh Sarah was very jealous. And persecuted and kicked Hagar out, and so everybody sees that and goes, "Oh, well, that's that's wrong, right?" Wait a minute, though. So at first she attacked, but God intervened, and this is where in the Old Testament symbol symbolisms that you look at, you have to look at it closely because the symbolism have a human equation that messes it up. Look closer, because Hagar goes out, God himself shows up and intervenes with Hagar and says, no, you can't leave. You have to go back. Why? And I'm even wondering today, why? the Symbolism. So she goes back because it wasn't about Sarah upset. Sarah was sinning to be upset with Hagar. Wrong. Here's what we needed to see. When they come back, Ishmael started getting upset and persecuting Isaac. Which was kind of crude because you know he's thirteen, fourteen years old and it's a little baby, so I'm not, you know, bully. But uh, so you know that's going on, and then they're sent away and they leave for good with Abraham's blessing. So God says, Whew, rescued the story. Same thing happened with Moses, if you remember. Uh, there was the rock, you know, in the desert, and God says, hey strike the rock and the water will come forth. It's a symbolism. Symbolism of Christ being struck and then the Spirit comes and it, was, it fed you know, the church today. Uh, but he said, from now on, if you want water, just speak to the rock. Don't strike it ever again. Moses gets mad. He goes over, mad at the people. It was justified, but still, he broke the picture because he struck the rock again. So in other words, the symbolism was Christ has to be crucified again and again and again. So he says, God, it's very upset when we mess up the picture. So that's why he intervened with Hagar, sins are back, and now we have the story. Uh, and he's like, so what are you saying? I'm saying that those that are under the law, the first, like Hagar, they persecute those who are free. If you go and leave this place and go this week and say, I am free in Christ, somebody will persecute you if they're a Christian, if you start touting your freedoms. it's just how it is. Nevertheless, verse 30, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So you see, once it was the Isaac versus uh, Ishmael uh, jealousy that went on and the bullying and the separation, he records that down and says, and that's the picture, and that's the picture. So, the old law, what does it do? Well, it comes after us today; it still tells us we're wrong if you read through it, but we have Christ, and it covers everything that the law says that we do wrong. If you look at it this way, the law is the mirror, you look into it, you see that you're you're absolutely terrible, and Christ would be the comb okay he's why he's he He actually covers and fixes the issue, and that's what's so cool so then verse thirty one brethren We're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, I think verse 1 should have gone with chapter 4, where it says, because it sums it all up for us. It says, stand fast. And I love that word, because in the Greek, that's actually a Greek term that the Roman army used. And you've seen the movies where they put, you know, they go shields, and they put all their shields together, and they lean into it. They, would, they had a command in the Greek that they would holler, and it meant stand fast. In other words, stand fast. You put your shields together and you lean into it because you know an assault is coming. So he says, stand fast, therefore. But well, what are we fighting? Well, we're, we're standing fast in the liberty and against legalism. That's what he's saying by which Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And, uh, you know, as I read through this years ago, uh, when I was coming back to the Lord, I did a study with Galatians, through Galatians, and it changed my life. Because up until that point, I was too into rules and regulations. And I failed at my own regulations. And I was really, I was drowning in them. And little things like drinking, what to do with that. Um, You know, what cuss words can you say and can't you say? And all of these things that you struggle with in those early years. What can I do? What can't I do? And what it caused me to do as I read through this is I realized I needed to throw all of those arguments out, it's wasted brain space for you to go through Scripture and try to make things okay or not okay. And I needed to revamp my Christianity with simply, what would Jesus do since He's in me? I want to be able to be spiritual and listen to His voice, and I want to follow Him. And I have to say, I I feel like I failed at it in a lot of ways. I pat myself on the back because some years I've done really good. And then God always turns up the heat. And I'll tell you, it's something that he seems to do. It seems that in early years, he speaks louder because we're dull of hearing. But the older we get, though we can sense it better, he speaks even quieter. And the idea is, can you hear me now? It's like the Verizon dude. Can you hear me now? And he wants to be able to get through to you on the weakest signal and for you to pick it up and go, I get it. Sort of like when you're first married, you know, your wife is like, hint, hint, um, I'm going to the store. Oh, we'll have a good trip. Hint, hint, <clears throat> I might need help. Oh, well, who's going with you? You know, I mean, you're just you're just not getting it. And then later years, you're finishing each other's sentence. You know, you, and, and that's if you're in tune with each other. You just know what your spouse is thinking. I can just look at mine and go, she's not happy. You know, she's, she is happy. She's, she's, you know, this or that or whatever. I can just look at her and sense the body language and know what she's aggravated about, who with, uh, you know, is it me, you know, Um You sense those things. And the longer you're married, the easier that gets. But less is said. And early years, a lot is said. Too much in most marriages. Too much is said. And you still don't understand. And that's how it is with God a lot of times. I think in the early years, there's a lot said. There's so much prayer on your knees. And you know why? Because you're not praying His will. You're praying your will still. You you, you you love the Lord, but you come and you go, Lord, bless me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. We go, to, It's like a genie, you know. And, and you go to pray at mealtimes. Lord, bless me today and bless everybody I know and be with them. And all, It's like a genie. And later you realize He's doing all of those things. That's what God does. He has legions of angels. He sends them, the Bible tells us. He watches over. We pray that God's will is done. We pray that God's will is done. If his spirit is in us, know that Jesus himself said before he went to the cross, don't you know that I could call down 10,000 legions from heaven to deal with this? But that's not the way that God wants to deal with it. And know that in your life, a lot of times you say, call down the legions, Lord. This should happen. Healing should happen. Riches should happen. You know, importance and fame and position and all of this stuff should happen. And God says, that's not my way. And you learn to listen to the still, small voice of the Lord. That's walking in liberty. It's walking in the Spirit. He's later going to say that, and we'll study it next time. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're struggling in life with all of these other things, if you learn to walk in the Spirit, it answers All of it. So, next time we'll get into chapter 5 and we'll really start looking at this thing of starting to live as a liberated Christian, (laughs) liberated finally, away from laws and away from rules and to walk in love. So, I encourage you to read ahead and uh, we'll look at that next time. Why don't we pray? Father, we come before you, Lord, and we do thank you for this chapter, Lord. Uh, Though it is a difficult chapter, it is a needful chapter, Lord. And for some of us more than others, depending on where we are, just to realize that those that come at us with rules and regulations are not necessarily in our best interest, and they're not necessarily pointing us to Christ. Instead, they may be tearing our lives down. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone gathered here today, for this church, that we would experience this year liberation. Lord, that we would learn to once again not try to please you through rules and regulations, but that we would learn to listen, that we would be the church that has an ear to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, I pray for all of us individually. I know for a fact that many of us in this room, uh, Lord, we have decisions this year that are in front of us. And uh, for some people in this room, they may be large decisions. Uh, others that may be small, but I pray for all of these things, Lord, that we wouldn't make the decisions based on what others think. We wouldn't make them based upon rules and regulations that others have placed on us. But Lord, that we would learn to listen for You. You're in our heart, Lord. The scripture this morning said that that Jesus' spirit has been placed in our heart and it's crying out to the Father, Lord. And so I pray that we would learn to listen to that, that we would learn to pray your will and that we would look for you as the breeze that blows, Lord. Where are you blowing? Where are you leading? What are you pulling us away from? And Lord, what are you telling each of us to go towards? Lord, we love you. We look forward to this year of walking with you and following you wherever you may lead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.